0: Hey guys, this is AC, and you're listening to Brown Men Won't Jump.
1: Yo, what's good guys? It's Anushan, and we're back with another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. Today, we got a four-man pod for you guys. We have Aswi.
0: Howdy how. We've got AC. What is up, guys?
1: And we've got a special guest for you guys, our resident jazz fan, Abinev. What's going on, everyone? So today's pod, we're going to be discussing the jazz in particular, as well as the Clippers. So let's get started.
2: All right. Before we begin, I have to ask Abinev, how did you become a jazz fan? Because for those of you who don't know, he's actually from Toronto. So please explain where the connection of Utah (laughs) <laughs> at toronto where, where does that come from i just really
3: enjoy watching the jazz play well i'm more of a UH jazz fan and i started to really get into them in during the 2015 to 16 season when they had guys like gordon hayward on ricky rubio rodney hood all those guys on the team and i don't know i just really 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 liked watching them play and they had this kind of underdog mentality where you just really wanted to root for them you just really wanted to see these guys play well and I guess that kind of resonated with me because it kinda of just seems like no one believes in them, no one thought they could do anything but here they were. They were the fourth seed in the West and they had a really great record. And ever since then, like they've always kind of been this underdog team and no one's really believed in them. No one talks about them. And I guess I kind of also like felt the same way like, where in my life, like I felt like no one really like, you know, believes in me. So I guess I just kind of had that same kind of resonance.
0: I totally agree with you that no one talks about this team. I mean, somehow they have the best record in the NBA and it seems like nobody is talking about them. And that's why we want to change that and really focus on them on this pod. And we're lucky that we know at least one jazz fan. I think you're actually the only jazz fan I've ever met in my entire life. To be fair, I don't know that many Mormons, so that's probably why. Well, I'm not a Mormon, so <laughs> are. This is going to be the so... best pod we've ever done. I'm so I'm of the opinion, guys, that this team is actually really good. I know this is, Asui, I've talked to you about this a bit off air, and you don't seem to quite agree. I think these guys are legitimately scary. They have a record that they haven't had since they had Carl Malone and John Stockton. The last time that this record was a 96-97. In the season they actually went all the way to the finals and famously lost to the Bulls. They have the best point differential in the NBA, They're the only team in the league with a top five offense and a top five defense in terms of efficiency. And that usually means a team that's going to at least get to conference finals and possibly even win a championship. So I think they're legit.
2: On that point about the last time they had that record, that was like 24 years ago. It's a completely different organization. So yes, 24 years ago, they had this record and it went to the NBA finals. But the West is a lot different now. And I just, like you said, I just don't see it.
1: Yeah, I mean us we said it really well twenty four years ago. Like just think about it, guys. It was a whole different league back then. Like the way basketball is played is so much different than it is now, right? So it's a lot of things to consider. And of course, like yes, the Jazz should get a lot of credit for, you know, how well they've been playing this early in the season. But again, there is a lot of factors that go into what we've been seeing from the Jazz. And again, we'll talk about all of that in today's episode.
0: Well, guys, what has Mike Conley brought to the team this year that he didn't last year? Because I remember all the hype about this team coming into last season with the acquisitions of Conley and Bogdanovich, and then it, just, it seemed like Mike Conley was totally washed up the way he played last year. But yeah, this year, he he seems like a different player. So what are you seeing so far, Robbie, with Mike Conley?
3: I think for starters, he's hitting his threes more consistently. I think that's like a really big thing. And I think also it was his adjustment because he came from a system where he was the main ball handler and he had to work a lot with like Marcus Gasol back in Memphis. So I think like coming onto a team with Utah where like Mitchell at like had become like the main ball handler was, was a pretty big transition for him. And I think I just needed like some time to like work with that and be able to like play more off
2: ball. I just think it boils down to simply chemistry. He's never had someone like Gobert on his team, and he's never had a talent like Donovan Mitchell on his team. So naturally, he had to figure out his way, because if you think about it, when he was on the Grizzlies, wasn't he just basically the number one option? And he's playing next to Tony Allen. So I think for him, the biggest thing was just developing a chemistry with these guys, and look how they're playing now because of it. I'd
1: have to agree a little bit with Asui and some of the points he was making. Again, like conley was just a whole other person last year when he was with the jazz um i mean people are he's finally playing to what people expected of him from when he was first acquired uh by the jazz and we finally see that it's really coming to fruition and it's finally showing um and again like we've spoken about conley briefly in past episodes but like let's say how it is he's as professional as they come he's a crafty left-handed scorer um, He has a really good sense for playmaking and he has awesome basketball IQ, not to mention he's also pretty a plus defender as well. Right. So I, I feel like he's finally fitting into his role well with the Jazz. And I mean, I, I'm happy for him. I'm glad to see because I've always been a, a big Mike Conley guy. And to see him finally contributing to a team that has championship aspirations is is huge.
0: I think he's just gotten way better at throwing those lobs to Gobert. John Hollinger made the point, who was the GM of those teams back in Memphis, that Mike Conley basically never had a real vertical threat. If you think about it, he had played with Marc Gasol and Zebo, two guys who can't even like pretty much jump over a newspaper. So you know, it's totally different when you have a guy who, who can actually like catch alley-oops. And I also he made, a, I thought, a really good point about just playing with a guy like Mitchell is different too. It's an adjustment to have a score like that on your wing with you. And I think he's made that adjustment now, and now you're getting all that the skill that he brings to the table and his veteran poise. And you could argue that he's been, if not their best player, I would say right after Gobert, their second best player this season.
2: Uh, well, AC, you mentioned Bogdanovich. That's actually an interesting guy. be as a Jazz fan, how do you feel having him back? Because I, if I recall, he wasn't in the bubble last year, right?
3: I think having him back is huge for the Jazz because... Last year, he was the second leading scorer on the Jazz, and when he got injured, not having him, like, the Jazz have to completely change the way they played, and so obviously, they didn't have, like, the floor spacing, and the three-point shooting that he brings to the team, and that really, really hurt the
2: Jazz, and I truly believe that if we had him, we could have beaten the Nuggets. Really? Le- yeah. Okay, well, hold up. So, I-, I get that he's a great shooter, but you really think that he would have put you guys over the top against the Nuggets, because... Let's not forget, that's the Nuggets team that embarrassed the hell out of the Clippers last year.
3: Yes. I do think so, because I just feel that not having our second best scorer on the team, like, really, really hurt us. I mean we had guys that like weren't even like part of like the rotation, like Juwan Morgan and like Mie Oni having to step up and having to like, you know, like play like, you know, pretty big minutes and it just like I just don't think like it worked for them. I mean they did the best they could, but ultimately like we didn't have like the second best score on our team. And I feel like if we had like that shooting, that could've probably like opened up like um the paint like a bit more for guys to
1: attack and I just I just really, really think that we could have like won that series. I mean, just to piggyback a little bit of what Ubi is saying, I, I do think that Bogdanovich is he's an incredible scorer. Like uh, the way that he's able to put the ball on the floor, uh, as well as his ability to shoot the ball, is is incredible. He's also a pretty underrated finisher around the basket. Like if you give this guy enough space to to do something around the rim, he's going to be able to maybe not put it over the top of guys, but he has a bit of athleticism to him. He has good finishing ability around the rim, and overall, like like Ubi said, he is the Jazz's second best scorer. Right, so a guy like that is always going to be valuable for a team whether or not they would have beat the nuggets i'm not super sold on that idea i i do feel like the nuggets were also missing a key piece in will barton so you could also make that argument that the nuggets weren't at full strength either but um i, I do think bogey is a very very good player and he's showing just how dominant he can be th- this season
0: I mean, I, I agree with Abi that I think they would have beaten the Nuggets. I mean, don't forget that they have, they were up 3-1 before, you know, kind of collapsing a bit and, and losing a couple of games, some of which came right down to the la- last shot. I mean, there was, it really came down to a buzzer beat at the end that would have changed that whole series. And the whole way we perceive uh, the Nuggets, the Clippers, everything would have changed if the Jazz would have just won that series and they didn't have their best wing scoring threat. So I, I, I totally agree with Abi there. In general, I think this Jazz team has a lot more shooting than people realize. Now, they've won 15 or 16 games, which is pretty remarkable. But in that stretch, Mitchell, Clarkson, O'Neal, Bogdanovich, Conley, and Ingles, they've combined to shoot a ridiculous 43% from three, and they've done it on 38 attempts per game. So they're not just taking a couple of threes. They're taking a ton of threes, and they're making them. And the reality is... When you have a team that can shoot this well, they have the upside to beat any team. And that's the reason they have a top five offense this season. I mean, you think of the Jazz, we always think of them as this very defensive squad that can't score enough. Well, with this shooting combined with that defense, they are a legitimate threat in my opinion.
2: I I get what your points are about that, but I'll be as a Sixers fan who's heard many. Well, if this happened, if that happened, I caution you from thinking too much or putting too much weight behind any if statements like that. It'll only make you more sad as a fan. (laughs) (laughs) That I sadly have to agree with. (laughs) So now, AC, you mentioned defense. Well, you can't talk about defense and the Utah Jazz without Rudy Gobert. Now, in our Western Conference preview, a lot of us expressed a little bit of concern about how Gobert got paid big money. So, Abi, I have to ask you, was he worth it? Because I remember, I remember talking to you about it, and you did not seem very <laughs> convinced. So, what do you think now?
3: I still don't think it was a good contract to give someone like Rudy Gobert. I mean, yeah, in the paint, like he's a monster. I mean, like it's really hard to score on him, but that's all he does. Like he's just like some guy that just essentially camps in the paint, and he gets paid two hundred five million dollars for that. I don't think it's a like a good contract because. He's not even, like, someone that can, like... Not even, like, someone like Anthony Davis that can guard, like, you know, multiple positions. He can be, like, everywhere on the floor. He's just not like that. So I think giving someone like that, like, a contract of plus, like five million is a mistake. Even, like, just, like, last week when he played against Jokic, he could not stop Jokic. And a lot of, like, Jokic's points were in the paint. So I just don't understand. Are we paying him, like, $200 plus million to play okay defense? Like, I don't get it. Like, I really just don't get it. And the fact that like he has no offensive game at all is just terrible. It's just absolutely like awful. I mean, aside from being able to roll to the rim and catch lobs, what else can he do for you? I think giving this guy almost like a super max is just ludicrous to me.
0: Yeah, but I'll be what leverage did you guys have to give anything less than that, right? I mean, the Jazz have a long track record of star leaving, you know, after their. They had Stockton Malone say forever. You had I'm Darren Williams left, and then obviously Gordon Hayward left, and, and, and you have a guy who wants to be there, who's a good player. I don't really think you can let a guy like that go when you're in a market like Utah.
3: Mm-hmm. That's the thing. It's like because we're a small market team, we couldn't let him walk; otherwise, we would get nothing for him. But I think that we could have maybe potentially traded him and tried to get a center, like one center that I was um, uh, telling um Anu about that I've. I probably like talked his ear off about this is trying to get someone like miles Turner on the team. Cause I think having someone like him would just be really, really, really good because he, he also can space the floor and he's a really good defender. You know, like um, his switchability is insane. And I'm just kind of shocked that like, not more like that, not a lot of people are talking about him. And I just wish that we could have had someone like, Like if we could have like maybe tried like like orchestrated like a three team like trade with like maybe like the Jazz the Pacers maybe like a you know like a bad team trying to get good like the Cavs before they got Jared Allen of course and I just think that maybe somehow we could have tried to do something to get someone like Miles Turner on the team.
0: Well, to your point, Miles Turner is having one hell of a season. I think the Celtics would have loved to have him. In retrospect, they went with Tristan Thompson. Instead of, you know, they could have traded Gordon Hayward there and gotten Miles Turner. They pass on that. Mm -hmm. And Miles Turner might be the front runner right now to be the defensive player of the year, to your point. Mm -hmm. That being said, I want to push back on some of the things that you said. I I actually think that Rudy Gobert is having an excellent season. Now, whether he's worth that contract or not is another thing altogether. You know, you said he's not AD. Well, I mean, who is AD in the NBA? Like like you have Giannis, I guess, who could do some of those things. But he doesn't even do those things because, you know, Bud doesn't use him that way. So like AD is one of one, right? And maybe you can. There's like a there's like Bam and a few other guys who are in that mold, but they're like few and far between. What we do know about Rudy Gobert is that he's one of the best defensive players in the NBA year in and year out, and just having him there makes you have a good defense. Now he's not perfect; like he could get five outed where a center can shoot threes, his his effectiveness goes down.
1: Mm-hmm. But with
0: him, you have like this the core of a really good defense. And you said on offense, all he can do is roll to the rim. And yes, mm-hmm. that, that is really all he can do. However, the Jazz have gotten better than ever at using that and to leveraging that to do various things. So they re- do this action, which I'm sure you've seen, uh, mm-hmm. which they call it's, it's, it's what's called a Spain pick and roll. It actually, I think, comes from Spain, <laughs> like the Spanish basketball <laughs> team did this, where like you'll have the shooter. So, like, while Gobert is setting the pick for the ball handler, say it's Conley or Mitchell, a shooter like Bogdanovich will screen Gobert's man and then flare to the three-point line. And because the threat of Gobert rolling is so significant, either the ball handler or the wing shooter end up wide open. And they use this, like, in so many different ways in various plays off of this, probably because Quinn Snyder, I, I believe, is one of the best coaches in the NBA. And I'm sure you'd agree with me on that. Yeah, I fully agree. So... I think all all in all they're doing a good job of using him. And I also think they're doing a good job of not falling for the like the Dwight Howard trap, right? Because like Dwight Howard's this guy would have been a he should just rolled to to the rim his whole life. Instead, he wanted all these post touches and he got he got on this whole war with Shaq and Shaq was telling me to do, you know, he did a post, and he was just not good at it. He didn't have any post moves. And Gobert was starting to fall into that trap last year, and I got a little bit worried. But it seems like this year they realized let's use him in this way, and as long as he does that, he has value. You could argue that he that that him rolling to the hoop is the core part of their offense and obviously he's the core part of their defense. So to me, that is a max player, maybe not a super max player but a max player.
3: yeah, like I do agree that like he is worth the max contract, not a super max a max. But I just feel that if we could get someone like miles Turner, I don't see why he couldn't do everything that Gobert could do and maybe like he could do more than that because well for starters he can shoot on like Gobert. So I don't know. I mean, I do think that, like, without having, like, Gobert, like, the team, like, wouldn't even be, like, anywhere, like, close to, like, top of the conference. But I just feel that we could have probably gotten someone, like, much better than Gobert.
1: W- would you say that you you would see Miles Turner as more of a playoff option rather than Rudy Gobert in that sense? Because evidently, Rudy Gobert is having a awesome season, as AC has alluded to. But, of course, like, playoff basketball is a whole different beast, so... In those regards, would you just look at Miles Turner's skill set and be like, okay, this is the guy that I want on my team? Or do you still think Gobert has that sort of ability to maybe have a resurgence in the playoffs like he's never had before? I personally think, like, I would just...
3: Because I just don't see that, like... Because as, like, AC was saying, if he gets five outed, he's done. He can't do anything. So I personally would say that, like, having, like, someone like Turner who can, like, guard, like, um who has, like, better switchability... And can guard like a um, three point line like that would just be much more beneficial. If we're in a matchup against like the Clippers, we could potentially five out someone like Zubac. out. That's a good point. That's a good point.
2: Yeah, but he- here's my big concern with Rudy Gobert. And I must have said this before, but this contract for him seems like the product of why this Supermax and even just how the Max is structured has led to an imbalance where people are getting paid way more than they're worth. And I get it. These guys are doing really well on offense, and they're the best defense. But let's be real. Can he really guard guys like Embiid and Jokic, who have elevated their games this year? Or even Anthony Davis, when he's playing to his potential, Rudy Gobert doesn't have a chance. Let's go back to Embiid and Jokic. Both of them are massive. And... This year, they have been shooting their mid-range and three-point at, like, a ridiculous clip. They could just shoot over him. What is he going to do about it? And if they're dragging him out, then all of a sudden, the entire leverage, the entire premise behind their defense is gone. So, Jokic is going to stretch the floor. Murray's going to have a field day in the middle now. And let's be honest, if, as you said, AC, the offense is centered around a pick-and-roll with him, that's essentially just saying he's a star who can't create his own shot. And he's going to have trouble against tall teams who really won't allow or be bothered by pick and rolls like that. I mean, he's never going to face Embiid in, in the finals or anything. So I would say if he was trying to score on Embiid, forget it. But everything you guys have said about, well, how is he going to face off against a guy like Anthony Davis on the West? How is he going to face against a guy like Jokic? Yeah, maybe against Zubac he'll have a a chance. But if if these guys want to be legit contenders, how can Rudy Gobert be the center of your offense and defense? I personally just don't see it.
0: Let, let me ask you guys all a question. You guys are all kind of making this point that he can't stop Anthony Davis or Jokic. Who can stop Anthony Davis or Jokic? Anthony Davis can't stop Jokic. Like, he, I've seen Jokic just absolutely destroy Anthony Davis. I've seen Anthony Davis get destroyed, you know, by Embiid. I've seen Anthony Davis destroy both of those guys. I mean, like, you, you take a perimeter defender, right? Take the best one in the league, whoever you want, and put them on LeBron or Kawhi. They can't stop those guys. That doesn't mean they don't have value. I mean, yes, they don't have as much value against the best players in the world, but they're still better than, a, you know, far better than a replacement level player and better than a lot of good players. So I, I'm not sure that's
2: a fair bar. Wait, by wait, which wait, to wait. Hold, up. On. hold up, hold up. But here's the problem with what the premise you're giving forth right now. He is going to be competing against those guys. He's he's not going to be the guy against LeBron. He's going to be the guy against Embiid and Anthony Davis and Jokic. The people, well, not Embiid, but otherwise, the people that he's going to have to go through to make it to the championship. So if, if he's not going to be able to guard those guys, yes, I'm right. not saying he has no value, but he's going to struggle against them. He's not going to be as nearly as useful, and he's not even contributing anything really that great other than what a pick and roll is that is that all this guy can do so if he's not contributing enough on offense and defense yes he'll be good but still can't stop the guys that he is assigned to stop or even slow down really i mean if this is the guy I... that that you're, you're paying 200 million for whatever it is really that's it that that's what you're getting for that much i mean i i think
0: you know he can Slow them down as much as anybody can, right? I mean, or, or more than most people can. I, I just don't think you can expect anyone to shut those guys down. They're superstars. It's like nobody expects anyone to shut down wing superstars. We shouldn't expect anyone to shut down big superstars either. I, I think that all things considered, he brings value. And I, I, it's just like the kind of value that you don't normally recognize. And also, you make a good point. Yes, the fact that he's known as a roll man means that he is somewhat offensive limited. But what he does bring to the table is still really valuable. Vertical threats are valuable when you have guards who can throw those lobs, and both Conley and Mitchell can do that. And that it, it's what allows them all these shooters to to, to get open, right? His, the threat of him rolling. So I think there is a world where they play good enough defense because he's that anchor, and they have enough shooting around. Like they have more shooting, in my opinion, than the Lakers do, um, not quite as much as the Clippers, but. More than most teams. I mean, I, I went through, like, the fact that so many guys are shooting so well. So if they can get just enough, uh, you know, defense from Gobert. Now, he won't shut down Yogesh, but if he can make him work or make it hard for the other uh, people like, say, Kawhi or LeBron to drive to the rim. Because that is, remember, a big man doesn't just guard their own man. A big man also is there to, like, help the team. Around. So, yeah. So I, I think he can do that better than just about anybody. You know, I, I think he has value and this team can still win. I they, they have a chance to win the West. I know that sounds crazy, but I, I still believe they do.
2: I mean, technically even the Suns or even the Pelicans have a chance to win the West, but it's not a, a better little, chance. Really a better one. chance than
0: those guys. Come on.
2: <laughs> well, uh, all right. So oh. we're talking about one quote unquote star of the Jazz. Let's talk about their actual star, Donovan Mitchell. What do you think, Abby? Is he a legitimate superstar? I I think so.
3: I think like um he's just like he started off like really like slow and like it was like some crazy style like in like the first like few games where he shot fifty something like um shots and he scored like fifty off of them. Or it was something crazy like that. So his efficiency in the beginning was really bad, but now I think he's becoming like, you know, like like more comfortable and um he's playing um a lot better now and like um the shots that like on like that he was that he was missing before are falling and they're going in. And as we've seen, like, in, like, the bubble, like, um, like, last year, like, he went crazy. He had two 50-point games. Like, that's just, like, that's unreal. So I think, like, he has, like, that gear to be, like, really, really, really special. And I think, I potentially think, like, he could be the best player on
2: a championship contending team. So let me ask you a follow-up question to that, then. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that he should be in the MVP race? And let me tell you the case for him. His team has the best record in the league. They've won 16 of the last 17 and Mm -hmm. on a team that he's the only player averaging over 20 points. So put that into perspective, right? He's having a career year in points, rebounds, assists, three point percentage, free throw percentage, effective field goal percentage. Mm -hmm. I mean, even the Manimal himself has been on team Donovan Mitchell for MVP. So what does a jazz fan think about that?
3: If I'm being completely brutally honest, I would say no. Like, I don't think, like, he's done, like, you know, like, nearly enough as, like, some guys who are having, like, you know, like, much better seasons, like Jokic and, like, Embiid and even, like, LeBron have done. So, I do think, like, he's playing, like, out of his mind, but I don't think that he will be, like, um, the, like, MVP.
0: So, I don't think there's any way they should be in the MVP discussion. I look at this Jazz team as a team that kind of like that 2004 Pistons team. There's a lot of good players. And that's why, again, I think if you had to pick an MVP of that team, I always thought the MVP of those teams was actually Ben Wallace, not Chauncey, not Rashid. I think what he brought to the team was what was really what set them apart, and that's the same thing I think with Gobert. As for Donovan Mitchell, I do think that it's encouraging that Mitchell is shooting 41% from three, because that's what the one thing in his game that it needs to be consistent for him to become a true superstar. Sometimes I find myself, when I watch him, wishing that he would impose his will a little bit more on the game, Kinda of like he did in the playoffs last year, I know I'll be mentioned his two fifty point games. There are times in the playoffs where he looked like, Oh, this is a superstar. But kinda of like with Jamal Murray, you don't see it night to night in the regular season, which I'd like to see. Because on his good nights, like his talent is undeniable. Like there are times I watch him and I see basically Dwayne Wade with a three point shot, which is, you know, basically the highest praise you could you could give a shooting guard.
3: Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree with that. I think Mitchell has like some like he has like crazy potential. And I think he could potentially be um a top ten player in the league.
1: I would have to agree with both you, AC, and Ubi as well. I I do think that Mitchell is a fantastic NBA talent. And let's look at it for what it is. Mitchell really makes this offense run. Like, while we did say that Conley has been doing a good job in his role now as both being kind of like a secondary ball handler and a, a good floor spacer for the Jazz, Mitchell is the primary ball handler. And he basically puts everyone in position to succeed. He can make Gobert... Into this, like, semi good lob threat, into like an elite lob threat, where like he's just such an imposing figure around the rim that he makes Gobert go. Uh, I I do think that Mitchell is one of the best shot creators in the NBA. Like, you can put him up there with almost anybody. And, like, you said, AC, when he's on, he's on. Like, he's almost impossible to guard one on one. He's extremely quick, he's one of the best athletes in the NBA with his vertical, uh, his leaping ability. And I also think he's super underrated on the defensive end. He's a very plus defender. He has great hands. And he also has an ability that we've talked about with LeBron, right? This cross-court pass, I've seen him been able to do it a bit more, where he's able to hit that wing shooter into the corners. And I think that's a very valuable skill for any sort of playmaker. So I, I do think that Donovan Mitchell has really good upside, and his potential is, like, limitless. So. Uh, oh. I do think that Jazz have a good shot at a title with this guy if he's on his a game.
3: Yeah, just to add to that, like his athleticism is also crazy, and his ability to like finish at the rim is also pretty great too. Coupled with like his ability to like you know shoot and like you can also like him hit like him hit like the mid range shot. I just he's going to be like a really scary player in the future. He's already a scary player, but he's going to he's going to be so much better.
2: Well, speaking of scary players and. Uh... <laughs> they're not scary what am i saying <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: who, are you, who are you talking
0: about which team <laughs>
2: the clippers
1: <laughs> I, I, I just saw that transition was so funny
0: <laughs> really that's interesting elsewhere because i'd argue that before this recent stretch when paul george has been out that the clippers have been the most impressive team in the nba this season both paul george and Kawhi are having mvp caliber seasons now Kawhi, we expect that from him, but man, Paul George has been good.
1: Yeah, I see. I I definitely agree. Like Kawhi Leonard being good is something that we expect. And to a similar extent, we do expect that from Paul George, but his recent playoff track record would not suggest that. But I mean, we we see what it is when Paul George is on his game, he he's fantastic, right? Like he's always been a premier two-way player. Uh, You can't teach size. He's incredibly tall in that sort of small forward, power forward role at about like 6'9", 6'10". Again, incredible shooter, very good finisher at the rim, and he's really showing us like how much of a monster he can be on the defensive end. He's still in the tops of the league in terms of steals. Overall, I, I-, I do think that if Paul George can finally continue his regular season bouts into the playoffs, I really am scared to see what the Clippers are able to do. But again, it's Paul George we're talking about. The infamous playoff P, the playoff PP, whatever you want to call him, right? So (laughs) it it always comes down. PG. (laughs) PG,
3: 13%, my personal
1: favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right? So, I mean, it, it all depends on how he can translate his game into the playoffs, but so far, I do think that the two superstars for the Clippers are actually playing like superstars. So when that's happening, they are as good as anyone and can compete with anyone.
3: I think it also depends on like how many backboards he decides to like not hit in the playoffs as well. So
2: we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. I mean, honestly, what we're seeing from Paul George is what we expect to always see from Paul George. How many seasons have we seen him having a great regular season? And he was always in somewhat of an MVP conversation, at least up until a certain point in the season. When you think about when he arrived at the Thunder or when he arrived with the Clippers, there's this added level of pressure that came with that. All this media buzz around him being on this team with this star. What can they accomplish? And I feel like, part of that spotlight is off him now and really it's because of the nets because the nets have created a super team that everyone's talking oh my god look at how they're messing up and i kind of just feel like the clippers in some ways have gone under the radar now under the radar in the sense that like what they had for lunch isn't on the news anymore it's really people are just like holy shit this this team can ball so i feel like what we're finally seeing is a freed Paul George, one who doesn't have to deal with all this coverage about everything he does. And I don't know. I'm actually excited. I love to troll Paul George, but I do love his game and I, w- I would love to see him actually play to that potential for a change.
1: I think so. I was being it really well. It's so easy to like hate and troll on Paul George because it's the dumb shit he always happens to say to the media. But like, it's like, as we said, his game, it, it speaks for itself. Like he has all the tools to be an incredible, and he is an incredible NBA player. But like, again, like it's, you don't get into MVP conversations without having a real big impact on the game of basketball. So yes, yeah, like easy to hate guy, but definitely can show out when he needs to.
0: Yeah. So I think Paul George has been trolled so much that he's almost become a little bit underrated. This man is extremely talented. He has one of the most beautiful jump shots in the NBA. He's shooting 48% from three. It really feels like when, he never misses, no matter how difficult the shot is. I know, of course, in the playoffs, he had some famous misses. But I think I thought that Oswe's point about the pressure on him being off a little bit is really well taken. Because it's not just on, the, on Paul George himself, but the Clippers as a whole. They're kind of just going under the radar and quietly and almost ruthlessly destroying the rest of the league. And that's why I think they're very scary. In my opinion, they're the one team that really has the best chance of beating the Lakers, just from a matchup perspective. And I, I think, you know, Paul George's emergence as once again, one of the top players in the NBA, legitimately, like he wasn't really consistently last season, is a huge reason why.
2: I don't know about you guys, but I think they haven't been load managing Kawhi much this year. I feel like it's like the first season since Zaza assassinated him that <laughs> that he's actually playing uh, without load managing. Assassinated
0: him. I think he's learned his lesson last year that, you know, a couple of years ago, Anishani on your Raptors, he you know, load match quite a bit, but that team was well established, right? So they they still won a pretty decent amount without him. And they had kind of an established chemistry with the players that were already there, and then he was able to incorporate himself when the playoffs rolled around. Especially last year showed the, the the downside of this kind of strategy. The Clippers just didn't have enough chemistry, enough time together, enough coordination. And when they got into tight series against really good opponents, they unraveled. I mean, it's just the only way you can say it is they unraveled. And it looks like Kawhi has taken that lesson to heart, and has you know made a real effort to try to be out there as much as possible, which you know I respect.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree. And we we see it with Kawhi now where I I feel like there's like an added level of seriousness because I feel like his collapse, not his collapse in particular, but he was a big portion as to why they collapsed in the playoffs last year. But that kind of stuff sticks with players, right? Like they remember their, their failures. I mean, you can even see with a guy like LeBron, right? Like he never wanted his 2011 Miami Heat series against the Dallas Mavericks to define him, right? And he never let it define him afterwards. So great players, they need to look at where it is they fall short and how they can improve and how they can build upon their success in the future. And I feel like with Kawhi, uh, he's a very soft-spoken guy and he doesn't really show his emotions on his sleeve because he is a robot. But um, I, I feel like he needs to really start taking this shit more seriously because, I mean, let's, let's be honest, he got embarrassed last year against the Nuggets. So if he wants to have that kind of legacy as an all-time great player, he needs to start showing us that he can be a leader on a team like the Clippers, and he has to lead by example, and that means you have to play in games, even when you're not feeling 100%.
2: Well, regardless of whether or not it's a good idea for the Clippers to be load-managing Kawhi, whatever they're doing is working, because... As of right now, they have the second best offense in the NBA. That being said, they also have the worst offense when it comes to clutch situations. So I've got to ask, why? how does that even work? How can you be the second best offense, yet the absolute worst in clutch situations? Even the Knicks are better, <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> it's funny. Even the Knicks jokes are like they can't even be jokes anymore because they're actually good this season. And it I know, it's bad. Just,
2: it's just force of habit. What can I, know, I do? I <laughs> I'm the
1: same way. I would do these. They'll exact win a championship
2: way. and I will still be like, yeah, but you know the Knicks. They're yeah. worse than the Knicks. I, I
1: I'm the exact same way. I, I can't help it.
0: <laughs> well, as our Knicks fan, I have to admit that it's kind of a miracle that we are ahead of the Clippers because we have no spacing and, and frankly half the time I'm always surprised when we scored all in the clutch. Which is kind of why I, it's incredible the Clippers are struggling that much in this same situation. But I think I have the reason for this. Well, actually there's two reasons. The first reason is just just a very small sample size. They've they been beating teams pretty badly besides that one game where they got absolutely blown out in. So they haven't been in that many clutch games. So it's definitely a small sample size. But I think the bigger factor here is they are just a team that relies way too much upon jump shooting. Now, granted, they have incredible jump shooters across the board, but they don't have anyone who consistently get to the rim. You know, Anushan said before that Paul George can you know, get to the rim and finish. I don't think that's true of Paul George anymore. He's really become a jump shooter. I think post that bizarre and horrible leg injury he had playing for Team USA he has not had that same pop, and 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 the last few years, especially, he really doesn't drive that much. There was a point in this season, I'm talking like like a, a good amount of games gone by, at, at which point neither Kawhi nor Paul George had even a single dunk. So that just shows you that they don't put pressure on the rim, and especially in fourth quarters, they rely on jumpers, which you know can be hit or miss.
3: Yeah, like I completely agree. It could also just be a mental thing where. Whenever like they get into like those like um, high pressure situations, they just tend to collapse and like you said before, they just try to go off on their jumpers and when they don't make them, I think it just adds on to like um, the the pressure that they already feel. So it just kind of like leads to like a recipe for disaster.
0: That's an interesting point, obviously. What you're saying is kind of like because they failed before so famously last year. Because you know, coming into that series, the Clippers were pretty good, you know, they had a good clutch reputation. Kawhi had basically never failed in clutch situations, at least in playoffs before. Although, uh, you know, as I said before, I think it's slightly an overstated clutch reputation that he has. Uh, but that team was doing really well, and then they had this huge collapse. And you're saying that when they come into the situation now, they're, it's like a mental block almost that they have to overcome.
2: Now, AC, you mentioned jump shooting. You're actually right about that. They're number one in the league in three-point percentage. And that's largely due to guys like Pat Beverly having a career year from beyond the arc. But then let's not forget Batum, Ibaka, Kennard, Morris. They've all been shooting well. But I just want to take a point of privilege and just say Oswee Dramas was once again right. (laughs) Nick Batum has been great for the Clippers. He's shooting 46% on 4.8 attempts beyond the arc per game. Serge Ibaka, forty percent on nearly three attempts per game. I would like to say that Asui Dramas foresaw this.
1: Yeah, I, you know it's, it's funny. I, I listened back to our old uh, episode and just hearing how much we bashed on Nick Batum is it's just <laughs> hilarious to me because, like, we had such good reason to to believe what we believed. And it's also very sad that us plays right again. <laughs> like, this is going to be an ongoing good, thing. Good, good. <laughs> but um, yeah. I mean, Nicholas Batum again. Like in theory, right? Like I I spoke about this last time on our previous episode. He he has all the tools to be an extremely effective player. He has great size, great length. I did not expect him to shoot this good from three point range. Like this is something way beyond my expectations. But um, it just goes to show that like. Even a player at his age can still contribute a lot to this team, and they're going to need a guy like him in the playoffs, right? I already knew what we were, you were getting with the backup that the Clippers had now because he was once a Raptor, of course, right? So I've had my fair share of seeing him play. He's been great this season. 40% on like three three-point attempts a game is really good, actually, considering his numbers from like the years prior. So, I mean, good for him. I'm happy to see him do well. And I, I just hope that they can continue this momentum as a team. I think they have a good supporting cast around Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. So like AC said, they're probably the team that can give the Lakers the most trouble. And, you know, hopefully they continue this momentum going forward.
0: I can sadly, totally imagine Oswee right now with all these stupid Oswee dramas predictions with a SpongeBob, you like Krabby Patties, don't you face? Just smugly (laughs) sitting there.
2: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: (laughs) It's killing me inside of a minute. But no, I, I think... You were right about Batum. You know, Batum reminds me a lot of Boris Diel in that both of those guys were <laughs> both Frenchmen. Oh. They both totally tanked when they were in Charlotte uh, and decided that they, weren't, they were not going to get overweight and they were not going to you know, play well. They found their way to other teams that were contenders, and both of them bring something that I think is very necessary for a title team, which is passing. So we've already, you know, we talked about Batum shooting, but I think what he brings the, the Clippers that they really need is some more passing. They don't really have a true point guard, and I think his ability to keep the ball swinging around, much like what Boris Diaw did, albeit probably at a higher level, for the Spurs, I think um, is extremely valuable for this team.
1: I gotta say, I love that Boris Diaw uh, comparison. I totally well, I thank agree. you. Uh, I think it's very, very well warranted um yeah like it's a frenchman thing yeah it's a a french connection for sure except rudy gobert doesn't share that but okay anyway (laughs) (laughs) i i think you make a great point about the swinging swinging is a very important tool in basketball and it comes with a lot of iq and uh just like general knowledge of the game right because One thing people don't do often is move the ball from one side of the court to the other because it shifts the defense, right? And you can always find an extra open look, whether it be in a corner or just like do creating through that swing. So I I do think that the Clippers have definitely benefited off of that and it definitely is worth mentioning for sure.
0: So uh, Anishan, to illustrate what you're saying, if you guys ever watch a soccer game, you'll often see like a midfield or sometimes they'll just cross the ball all the way to the other side of the field, like, you know, from one side, from the left side, all the way to the right side. And that's just so they can reset the defense. And that, you know, that's obvious when you watch soccer, but that happens in basketball too. If you can keep swinging the ball back from one side of the court to the other side of the court, you just create new angles. And I think that's what Batum brings them. Guys who have that ability are just
2: invaluable to teams. The thing that doesn't make me comfortable when I think about the Clippers is the fact that they don't have that point guard who can reliably get the ball around. They have to rely on ball movement from the wings and from really just the guys within. And I definitely feel like that can be a hindrance.
0: Yeah, that's a good point about the point guard, sweet So that I guess that begs the question then. We talked about the Jazz. We have kind of mentioned the Lakers here and there. How do you guys... Let, let's take like usually these teams in turn. How do you think the Clippers stack up against, let's say first, the Jazz?
2: I'm sorry, Abi, but I just don't see how... The Jazz can somehow guard both Kawhi and Paul George, whereas the Clippers' defense would make it really difficult for the Jazz to score. And basically, Mitchell has to be their sole shot creator. I don't know. What do you think?
3: I think it will be a tough series for sure, but I think the Jazz could win. I think like we do have um uh, the shooting, and I think like with paul george's like recent like struggles like obviously like it's not something to like you know bank on but i don't know i just can't see him performing well you know like, in the postseason because as of late he's just been like a notorious postseason choker so i just don't see it and as for Kawhi i mean like i said before like i don't know like how much his mental block is really going to affect him but
1: I-, I think i'd have to agree with us i i just think that the clippers have too many bodies to throw at someone like donovan mitchell and they can always keep those bodies pretty fresh. Like they can get Pat Beverly to guard him for extended periods, put Kawhi Leonard, which would be a, a complete nightmare for Donovan Mitchell to have to play against, and then Paul George, right? And it's really going to be really hard to do a bunch of like guard screens to like get switches and do things like that. Because again, like all three of these guys have the potential to just be able to guard Donovan Mitchell. So if a majority of their offense comes from him, it's going to be up to guys like Bogey, guys like uh, Rudy Gobert, to just kind of show Mike Conley, to shoulder that sort of offense, right? And I don't think that a combination of those three will be able to outright just beat the, the Clippers. I do think a guy that might, be, might have a potential to swing a series like that is Jordan Clarkson, who's been quietly having a, a fantastic season. Definitely a six-man-of-the-year sort of sort of vibes to him but um I I don't know I just I just don't really see it I I just think that the matchups aren't in favor for the the Jazz and Rudy Gobert has to sort of become this really elite interior scorer which he isn't so for those reasons I would definitely have to say the Clippers have an advantage
3: I was just going to say they don't really have like a center that can five out Gobert. So I think like his effectiveness will be much greater like when he's in the paint. So I just feel that we have the depth to try to to swing this series in our favor. It's not going to be an easy series, but I can potentially see the Jazz winning
0: in six or seven. I agree that it's possible that you guys could beat them, but I think it's highly unlikely uh, for a lot of reasons. I disagree. For instance, that they don't have a five out center. This is exactly why they have Serge Ibaka. Serge Ibaka is going to cause a lot of problems for for all the reasons we talked about in this podcast. For a guy like Rudy Gobert, because he'll pull him away from the paint, which makes him you know far less effective. I also think that if you look at their roster, they have one glaring hole, and that is they don't really have a, a true guy to guard big wings. And no one has more big wings than the Clippers do, with both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Their best guy is probably Joe Ingles. You put him on one of them, but I don't know if he can stop either of them. They're just that good. So I worry about that. Now, the way that they could beat them, in my opinion, would be just to do kind of what the Nuggets did last year, where they're just going to flat out outscore them. So the the Clippers' defensive weakness seems to be with little guards. So you saw them a lot of problems with Jamal Murray last year. They had problems with Don who's not little, but, you know, he's a guard. So I, I think there's a world in which Mitchell just totally goes off, along with Conley, and they just give him a lot of trouble. And I do think that the Jazz have enough offense and enough shooting, especially, to keep pace with, with the Clippers. I don't think you can beat the Clippers if you can't consistently score over 110 points, but the Jazz have proven now they can actually do that. So there is a world they, they can do it, but it's not going to be on the defensive end. It's going to be them just flat out outscoring the Clippers, which will be a tall ask.
3: Yeah, and I think that we have the personnel to do that with um, Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, and, of course, Donovan Mitchell. It's like those three guys are going to like be a nightmare for them to be able to guard like consistently, even for someone like Patrick Beverly.
0: Even Patrick Beverly this year, he hasn't been healthy, and I don't think that he's the best at guarding really, really fast guards. He tends to be a bit foul-happy, and he'll reach a lot and get his team into—the into, uh, opposing team will get into bonus really quickly when he's on the floor. So I think their best guy to guard someone like that is actually probably Paul George. But then, you know, if you put Paul George on one of them, then the other one can go off. I think the way to beat the Clippers is if you have guards that Paul George and Kawhi have to guard. That's one thing that the Jazz can actually
2: do.
1: So what do you guys think about how the Jazz fare against the Lakers? Because that could be a potential matchup that we end up seeing as well.
2: I'm sorry, be, but I don't think the Jazz have any chance in hell against the Lakers. I'm... <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> I don't have anything to say because I feel like you might
3: be right there.
2: <laughs> well, let let me let me uh let me back up my statement. I'm not just you know trying to <laughs> trying to dump haterate on you. Like, uh, uh, let me. This is a calculated opinion that I have here. So when you watch the Lakers play, it's so clear that they're just the best team in the NBA. LeBron is playing at an all time high level, and it looks like he's barely breaking a sweat. And let's not mention Anthony Davis, who everyone thinks is having a bad season, but he's actually still having an excellent season. I mean, he's shooting what, like 22 points off 53% from the field? Two blocks and, uh, and almost two steals a game? That's a bad season? I don't think so. But I guess by his standards, sure. But let's, let's project forward to the playoffs. LeBron is going to ramp it up, and Anthony Davis is going to ramp it up. They have the number one defense, and... I just don't see how the Jazz can guard either LeBron or Anthony Davis. And then they have guys like Dennis Schroeder, who is just Dennis the Menace, as LeBron says. So I, I really want to know how the Jazz can beat the Lakers. If you think about like the Lakers' defense, it, it's predicated around forcing people inside to Anthony Davis and Gasol. This is a team that's conceded the least triples this season, and teams are shooting the least amount of free throws against them. So not only are they bringing people in, they're not fouling them when they do it. So how how do you expect to run a pick and roll of Gobert when you got Gasol and Anthony Davis just standing there? I I, I just don't see it. I'm sorry, buddy. I it's yeah, it's it's an uphill battle for you guys.
0: Yeah, so I think this is a terrible matchup for the Jazz. You know, for a lot of reasons. The Lakers are particularly well suited to stop guards. They have just so many guys to defend against those kind of people. They have, you know, Dennis Schroeder has proven to be an incredible on-ball on, on ball defender against, you know, especially guards around his size. Caruso is good. Uh, Wes Matthews is good. KCP is good. So they have that whole quadrant of guys who could do that job. And then... Who in the world is going to stop LeBron? That's on the on the Jazz. I just don't see anyone with the physical frame to guard him. And we talked about Kawhi and Paul George being a problem, but I think LeBron is a different type of challenge, just from the sheer size that he has and the physicality. And then we have, you know, Anthony Davis. I think, you know, Gobert. This is not the kind of guy that he's going to do necessarily well against, because when they do play him at the five, which we all know they'll do in the playoffs, this is another guy who can pull Gobert away from the paint. And every time they face each other, it always feels like the Lakers have the upper hand as soon as they go to the to AD at the 5. I remember there was a game last season where the first half, the Lakers were playing their normal way with JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard. And the second half, it was the first game that Frank Vogel did this the whole season. It was a regular season game, just a normal regular season game. But he pulled uh, Dwight Howard and McGee totally out of the lineup and put AD at the 5, and they just absolutely destroyed the Jazz. And I think that's what's going to happen here. It's a terrible matchup.
1: Yeah, and I don't know, like, after listening to what everyone says, I, I, I have to find myself agreeing with both Asui and uh, AC. It just is not a good matchup at all for the Jazz. Like, AD is an absolute monster. Rudy Gobert has no shot at guarding AD. And even, like, if he manages to stop him, then who's going to stop LeBron? None of the, the wing defenders for the Jazz are... Either they're big enough or they're not fast enough or they're too small to stop him. So it's just a nightmare matchup for them. And I don't see the Jazz having any shot.
0: I actually think the best chance for the Jazz would be they stay in the first seed and the Lakers face the Clippers in the second round. And then they just face the Clippers. The Clippers beat the Lakers. Because I think the Clippers have a good chance of doing that, which is probably what we should talk about next, which is how do the Lakers match up with the Clippers?
2: Personally, I feel that the Clippers are probably the team that matches up the best against the Lakers. I still think the Lakers are the top team in the NBA. But when I break down the matchups, I think, well, Kawhi or Paul George, likely Kawhi on LeBron. But I don't really have any confidence in a Zubac or a Ibaka on... Is it N-Ibaka or is it A-Ibaka? In any case, I still don't (laughs) feel good about him on anthony davis so i feel like anthony davis will still you know do what he does but the interesting thing for me is probably at the point guard position i just don't see patrick beverly being able to chase around schroeder and i think if you look at how the lakers have played this season they've really put dennis schroeder as one of the key pieces in their offense and defense Correct me if I'm wrong, but he kind of seems like a more talented Beverly in that he's very annoying to face, but he's also like much, much more skilled offensively than Beverly is.
0: No, that's a, that's a nice analogy, actually. Yeah, I think so, too.
1: Yeah, just to piggyback a bit off of what else we said, specifically about the, Sh- the Schroeder point, I-, I do think Schroeder is going to be a key factor into that series because we already know what AD and LeBron are going to provide, but it's it's what that sort of third main option is going to do. And I do think that, like AC actually alluded to earlier, Patrick Beverly does struggle with really quick guards. And I do think that Dennis Schroeder, I wouldn't say would have his complete way with Beverly, but he definitely is going to have an edge over Patrick Beverly. That being said, I'm not too sold on the idea that the Lakers completely just destroy the Clippers. Well, not that I think it'll be, a, they'll destroy them anyway. I think it'll go to six or seven games. But I don't know who would come out on top of the six or seven. So I'm going to be a neutral party and say just I'm not sure because I really am not sure. But um, that's just my take on it.
0: I actually think this is a very bad matchup for the Lakers. And I would even kind of lean Clippers here if not for just having institutional faith in LeBron and AD and watching the Clippers collapse. And there's a lot of reasons for this. I talked before about how the, the Lakers have this great quadrant of guards defensively to stop opposing guards. Well, were they're weak defensively is on the wings. So they really only have Kyle Kuzma as a big wing. So if there is multiple big wings that the Clippers have, that means one of LeBron or AD often have to guard one or both of them, which is a lot of burden on these guys. And if you're having AD guard one of them, you're actually taking away your best rim protector. I also think that this is a series that takes away both guys like Montrezl Harrell and also guys like Mark Gasol. Now, they could, they might play a role here or there, but it's going to have to be a lot of eighty of the five. Now, if he's going to be playing at the five and also chasing around Kawhi Leonard, he's apt to get into foul trouble, which could you know really mess them up. I also think that the Clippers are one of those teams that can just score so much. And the Lakers quietly have slipped a 10th on offense. They're not this amazing offensive team, especially in the half court. They're not this great three-point shooting team either, whereas the Clippers are the number one three-point shooting team in the league, as we pointed out before. So there is a bit of a concern of their ability to keep pace with the Clippers. And the final thing is so much of their offense is reliant upon LeBron James creating for them. You know, you can say what you want about Schroeder or AD, and those guys are obviously extremely important, but it really is LeBron who generates offense for them at the highest level. Well, this is a team that has the best group of people to throw on LeBron of anyone in the NBA. It's not that he can't score on Kawhi or Paul George, but he's going to have to work harder against them than he has to against basically any other team in the league. So I, I wonder about their ability to generate consistent offense against the Clippers. Now, the counterpoint is, and the reason why I, I wouldn't just flat out pick the Clippers, and just like Anushan, I really think it's 50-50 how this series goes, is, is that the Clippers' lack of ability to get to the rim is especially problematic against a team that will get to the rim. Because you could do whatever you want about LeBron, AD, and Schroeder. All three of those guys, they live at the rim, right? So when one team is putting pressure on the rim, getting to the free throw line, getting dunks, layups, and just kind of collapsing the defense and the other team isn't, I would say that first team has a bit of an advantage. And To me, that's the only area in which I feel like they have an obvious advantage, except for just AD having no one to guard him. So the the other way they win is AD just goes crazy. But... I mean, he's yet to really do that in a game against the Clippers in a way that I feel that it's sustainable. But you know, he is Anthony Davis, so I suppose it's possible.
3: Yeah, like I definitely do think that AD is going to be like a matchup nightmare for the clip of of the Clippers because they don't have anyone that can guard him. As like O'Swee oh, so was saying, so he's just
0: going to go crazy. To your point, I'll be about them having no one to stop AD. It's interesting in their matchup earlier this season. They tried putting Serge Ibaka on uh, AD, and there's a lot of hype in the offseason that, oh, Ibaka's here, the AD stopper. AD just literally blew by him. He just had a rip through him and went right <laughs> past him. I mean, he just, like, one triple threat jab, and then he just, like, shot took a shot over him. Then the next play, he just one zoom right by him and dunked. Serge Ibaka and Zubox and anyone else on that team has no chance of stopping AD. But, it's always a bit of a, a risk when you're depending on a, a big man to generate offense because they could zone him out, could do a lot of things to try to get him out of the game.
3: That is true. But even if they zone him out, the Lakers shooting is pretty good with guys like KCP and especially like LeBron James who has been absurd from like the three-point line, like hitting like logo threes and everything. It's it's really shocking. Like I never expected this from like LeBron. I knew he was great, but this is like insane. Logo LeBron! Shout out to Moss
1: for coming up with that. <laughs> <laughs> Alright guys, so definitely a lot that was talked about in this podcast today, looking at how the Jazz are potential contenders. Who, who would have really thought that the Jazz could be potential contenders in the league where LeBron is shooting from the logo? <laughs> but um, <laughs> yes... Once again, thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. Thank you to Abi for joining us as well. Hopefully we can see you some more. Of course.
3: Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure.
1: And yes, with that being said, this has been Brown Men Won't Jump. Please don't forget to subscribe, like, comment on wherever you catch your podcast. And be sure to catch the next episode. See you later, guys. Take care. Take care, everyone.